0: I don't know if you're familiar, but it's uh, quite quite an old sort of series of cartoons now, but there was a Peanuts cartoon from years ago with uh, Charlie Brown and his friends, uh, Snoopy, I was going to say Scoopy, Snoopy, and um, various others. And uh, Charlie Brown is saying in this little cartoon, he says, I learned something today at school. I signed up for guitar, computer programming, stained glass art, and natural foods workshop. Oh yes, said his friend, but instead I got spelling, history, maths, and science. (laughs) So Linus, I think, asks him, so so what did you learn? Charlie says, I learned that what you sign up for and what you get are two different things. (laughs) I'm sure that is a lesson that, well, we all have to learn it from time to time, don't we? In our lives. What you sign up for and what you get are two different things. Our expectations are sometimes disappointed by the reality. Things don't always work out the way that we expected or the way we want. And so we can become disappointed. Uh, as Christians, sometimes we can even become disappointed with God, disillusioned with God, as our, our faith can be tested. Why has this happened? It's not what we expected. And this is where I think the example in today's reading of of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil can be very helpful for us in our own Christian pilgrimage and and walk of faith. Today is the fifth Sunday in Lent. We're in this period in the church calendar of 40 days when we remember the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert fasting, praying, praying. And engaging in this battle this battle with the evil one and these three temptations that the gospel writers uh, record here symbolize I think this this battle for power that goes on um, between the powers of evil symbolized and personified of course in Satan and the devil and the power of good as Jesus enters into the battle The beginning of his public ministry here on earth this battle this war in the wilderness so i thought this morning we could just look briefly at these temptations what do these temptations mean and what can we learn for us today as followers of jesus as we seek to strengthen our faith i think first of all there's the battle for power the power of comfort just consider the situation. Jesus has come from the heights of uh, the experience of his baptism, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the, of the Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, I'm well pleased in him. He's come from those heights, and now where is he? He's in the grim reality of this barren desert and wilderness. And after 40 days fasting, he's weakened bodily, he is extremely hungry. So this first temptation was a real temptation on a number of levels, to turn the stones into bread. Would it have been wrong for Jesus to provide bread for himself, to to end his fast if that's what he chose? No, I don't think so. There's nothing wrong in having bread to end your fast. The problem, the temptation if you like, is what the words of the devil imply, insinuate. Notice what he says to Jesus. you are the Son of God. Tell this stone to become bread. If, if, Satan is doing what he always does, and that is to inject doubt and uncertainty into our minds and into our hearts. Are you the Son of God? He's, he's sort of saying to Jesus, Are you the Son of God? And you're here now so weak, so deprived so comfortless, so alone? Surely that's evidence that God doesn't care about you anymore. He's forgotten about you. Forget about the baptism and the, and the voice from heaven. He's forgotten about you now. Here you are in this state in the wilderness. So was Jesus going to give in to these doubts? Or was he going to trust God, even in the wilderness, even in this situation, come what may? The devil's basic strategy, the enemy of our souls, is always to make us believe that God cannot be trusted, that God doesn't want the best for us, that he's out to get us somehow, and we can't trust him. He insinuates these doubts into our minds, into our hearts. Satan was tempting Jesus to doubt God's goodness. God's purposes, to disobey his Father's will by using his uh, legitimate divine power, but for his own purposes, for his own personal comfort. But Jesus remains faithful to his calling as the obedient Son and the servant King. He is the one, as Jesus says later, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the man for others. His ministry, his powers are focused not on his own comforts and his selfish needs, but on the needs of others. And the most important thing is to live by God's promises and plans and God's purposes, and not by bread alone, not by satisfying our own desires, but by trusting in God that he will fulfill his purposes in and through us for his glory. Even, even when circumstances are hard. Even when the way is difficult. And it seems that maybe God has led us, to, led us into a wilderness. We don't understand what's going on. Yet there, we are willing to trust God and believe that He is able to, to meet all our needs. I think that's... The heart of this first test, the power, the the temptation around comfort. But then the devil comes at Jesus from a different angle, with a second temptation. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. What's this about? Well, I think this is the power of compromise, the temptation to compromise. What's happening here? Jesus is offered all the authority and glory of the kingdoms of the world. Well, Jesus is the Son of God anyway, so so all authority and glory should belong to him. Though we understand from the biblical revelation that now for a time it has been usurped, we're in rebellion, it's been usurped by the devil, and all creation groans at the moment under that fall, under, under his power. But that's the whole point of Jesus coming. Jesus now comes to this world to reclaim this world, to remake it, to renew it for his father, and to release us, to release captives, to bring us back to God, to free us from Satan's power, And sin and death and the way to accomplish that was going to mean obedience unto death even death on the cross so for Jesus this temptation this is a temptation to embrace another way of being Messiah which is no way at all really but it's the way that many would have expected of him as Messiah the way of political and, and military power. But you see, Jesus' kingdom and his mission is, is of a, a different nature, a different category altogether. It's not about worldly power and glory. Jesus' mission is essentially more radical than that. Evil itself must be dealt with. Satan himself must be dealt with. Sin and death have to be dealt with. They have to be dethroned, disarmed. We need to be redeemed, released. And so to deflect Jesus from that mission, Satan was offering Jesus a kingdom, but without a cross. Why well, go to all the trouble, all the pain to win the world when it can just be yours for free? He seems to be saying, no suffering, no struggle, no pain, no fight. Just just bow down and worship me. But the crown that uh, Satan was offering without the cross would would mean no forgiveness at all. No forgiveness for sin. No victory over death and hell and Satan. No eternal salvation. So Jesus resists the temptation to compromise, to take the easy way out. And Jesus answers, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. No compromise. Of course, the power of compromise is is always a strong temptation, isn't it, for us all? To choose the easier way? Now, of course, I'm not saying that uh, we should never compromise as Christians on anything. Of course we should. There are many things as Christians that we can compromise on, minor things, different things that we'll disagree on, we can compromise on. But when it comes as it does for jesus here to the choice between our allegiance to god worshiping god and our obedience to him and disobeying him and his word well we must remain firm and that's very difficult increasingly difficult in our secular and relativistic society today to compromise but you see on on the core values of our faith as christians on the way of salvation, which is what Jesus was being tempted about, on the uniqueness of Jesus as the Son of God, as our Savior, on the Bible as a reliable way in which we learn about God and His grace and the necessity of, of repentance and faith if we're to be part of this kingdom, on, on many other things, on the sanctity of life, on the, on the dignity of every human being made in the image of God, on the sanctity of marriage, on the importance of truth, and honesty, and trust, integrity in human relationships, well, these are Christian values, biblical values, on which we must stand firm. No compromise. Not not in an arrogant sort of way, of course, because we think we're right, but because this way, following God's way, is the way in which we and humanity can thrive and flourish. It's the best way. And Jesus didn't compromise on the only way. He didn't compromise in this war in the wilderness. He followed his Father's will to rescue humanity from sin and death and Satan. No compromise. And so we come to the third and the last temptation. What's this about? Well, I'm calling this the power of confusion. You may see other things in it, and people say other things about it, but I think there's such a subtlety here in the devil and in his third approach to Jesus because he actually quotes Scripture, the cheek of it. He actually quotes Scripture now to Jesus, but he does it to confuse Jesus. What's happening here? Well, Luke says, the devil had Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple if... Notice that again. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil is quoting scripture now. Jesus has been quoting scripture, the Old Testament, to answer his temptation. So now the devil quotes scripture, but he misapplies it. He tempts Jesus to go for a different type of messiahship, to go for the spectacular, go for the sensational, rather than the way ordained by God, the only way. And, says Satan in a way, and by the way, even if you go against what God has planned, that messiah way, he will still protect you, because here it is in, in, in Psalm 91 that's the promise. Subtle, and I think that's why Jesus answers as he does, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, there's a big difference between acting on faith and acting out of folly. We're not supposed to test God. We can't presume upon God's protection and blessing when we're following a path contrary to his will beware of taking scripture out of context especially when you're trying to justify a course of action that's clearly against the general teaching of the bible but the devil loves to confuse people in fact a little bit later on in that psalm psalm 91 they'll talk the psalmist talks about picking up snakes and scorpions standing on scorpions and you'll you'll be okay you'll be protected and sadly there are some even so-called Christian sections of the church that do exactly that. They, they pick up snakes, and they do it to prove somehow that God will protect them. And sadly, some of them die, of course. Why? Well, that's not the point of the Scripture. We're not to test God in that way. Those promises are given for people who, in their normal course of obedience to God and following His Word, they can expect His protection. But there's a difference between acting on faith in the promises of God and acting out of folly and stupidity. No, we're not supposed to do that. And, you know, equally, it's not a measure of our faith if we feel we need to always have God get us out of a difficult situation in order to prove that He's really there and that He cares for us. No, faith... Is exercised in a quiet trust in our father's good plans, even, even in the mysterious providences which he allows in our lives, which we don't understand, and to which there are no quick or easy solutions or immediate deliverance. That's when faith is exercised. but we tend, of course, to prefer the spectacular and the visible to walk by sight rather than faith. But had Jesus gone for the spectacular? Had he done the amazing feat? Well, he may have drawn a crowd for a time, but he would not have saved the cosmos for eternity. Praise God he didn't. He didn't go for the spectacular. He chose the way of obedience, and he travelled triumphed in that war of power in the wilderness how did he do that well the battle for power I think he did that because of the power of commitment the power of commitment Jesus triumphed because he was committed always to doing the will of his father in heaven he said later in John's gospel I always do that which pleases him his father. And the great encouragement for us is not just Jesus is is our example to follow, which of course he is, but first and foremost that in Jesus, we can also triumph. We have the victory. In, In verse 13 of this chapter, we read this, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. These are just samples at the beginning of his public ministry, these sorts of temptations. But time and time and time again during his earthly life, Jesus was tempted to deviate from the Father's will, to take the easier option. And he was tempted all the time until that great and final temptation came. Luke will tell us in chapter 23 of this gospel that that same temptation to abandon his mission as the obedient son, as the true Messiah of God, the anointed one. That same temptation came at the very foot of the cross. And those religious rulers sneered at him, saying, ah, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one, if he is the son of God, let him come down off the cross and we will believe him. But praise God, in that war in the wilderness and now in that amazing war on the cross, Jesus triumphed. Why? Well, to fulfill his mission, to redeem the cosmos, to bring you and me to salvation, to eternal life, to restore us. Aren't you glad that he did that? That he resisted that final temptation and instead, he offered his sinless life as a redeeming sacrifice so that you can, and I, we can be forgiven, we can be set free forever. That's why we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. First of all, as our Messiah and Savior. And secondly, as our model for service but we must never reverse that order. Don't try following Jesus as a model or as an example for service without first knowing him as Messiah and Savior, the one who, who has redeemed us and who does empower us to be his obedient children. So friends, yes, if we are following Jesus, we are in a war too. You'll know that. And sometimes it might even seem that you're in a wilderness. But praise God, because of Jesus' obedience, because of Jesus' triumph, defeat is not an option. In Jesus, our victory is ultimately assured as we trust in him. We're in a war, yes, but Jesus has gone before us, and he is victorious as we'll be remembering in a few weeks en- weekends' time, his death is followed by that glorious resurrection where Satan is finally defeated and all God's children are freed and we walk in newness of life. We're in a war, so whose side are you on? That's what we're going to th- think about now as we sing our last song. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? King Jesus.